Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill, and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. And my guests today are the fantastic two of the noise next door. Yay! Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm very well. I'm glad that you introduced us as the fantastic two of the noise next door. The other two, just not quite as good. <laughs> the two of the fantastic noise next door. Hello, Robin. How are you? Delighted to be here. Thanks for having us. What an applause that was! That if every <laughs> every audience could lose their mind in quite the, quite the same way, we'd be uh, delighted. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, I'm such a fan. I really am, and I'm delighted that you're both here today. Um, the interview is going to last about 45 minutes, something like that, and it's going to be all about your comedy careers. So um, we're going to go right back to the start. And uh, as I said, it's a pleasure to be talking to the. Uh, UK's premier improv group. Um, uh, please tell me how the group got together. Well, uh, the group started in 2008, a long time ago, wow. um, in, uh, in Kent, at the University of Kent in Canterbury. Uh, we were a group of friends who'd been doing improvising together as part of sort of drama society on the, you know, just silly little extra shows and things like that. And then one day uh, we were foolishly given money to do an improv gig. And we thought, well, would this happen again? <laughs> and so we formed the Noise Next Door and decided to head off to Edinburgh. And then the rest is sort of a very long drawn out history where we slowly get slightly more successful over time. <laughs> it's been wonderful to watch. I've been, whenever, whenever I go specifically to Edinburgh, we always make a point of seeing your late night show. It's such a fantastic end to an evening it really is so thank you i just want to say thank you so much um when was your first ever gig then and what was it like when you when you all got together how did how did it go was it did you start off in little pubs or something like this yeah our first gigs so we'd been performing as part of a, an improv group at university but then it was when we first started, there were five of us way back when, uh, but it was the five of us that were just the most dedicated and we put the most effort in and, and that really came through in the shows as well. So our first gigs were really in student bars. That's when we, uh, yeah. we first started doing it as an improv group. Our first gig is The Noise Next Door. We, we booked out a, a, one of the drama spaces at university just to sort of do it with just the five of us to see how it would go and it, it went well. It went well. Although, although saying that, obviously, I wasn't actually there for any of this because I'm a, I'm a bit younger. I joined the group a bit later. And my first gig with The Noise Next Door was in the Manchester Comedy Store. So talk about yeah. dropping me in the deep end a little wow. bit. Wow. <laughs> so that's a fairly, that would have been a fairly big audience for you to kick off with. Yeah, I mean, I'd been performing comedy before, um, just not with the noise. And so, um, and, and the thought process behind that initially was, uh, to me, as the the new guy, it seemed crazy. It was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Putting me in one of the, the most <laughs> comedy venues in the, in the world, probably, uh, for my first gig. But the, the truth of the matter is that the audience at the comedy store are... Uh, very, very comedy savvy. They there, the, the bills are always great. So you know it's built, the, the venues are built specifically for comedy. So you know you're going to have a good gig. So now that I've done it a few times, I see the logic. But at the time, I just thought I was working with three madmen. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
That's wonderful. <laughs> um, you were rightly nominated for the Chortle Comedy Award in 2014. Congratulations on that. Please describe the experience and what are your views on comedy competitions? Do you think they're any good? Uh, it's one of those strange ones, comedy competitions. Um, uh, we we were nominated for that one. We've never really put ourselves forward for things. I think there's some strange rules about, about improv and comedy awards. Uh, certainly, I know the Edinburgh Comedy Awards uh, won't look at improv because it's different every night and they argue that it has to be the same show that each of the judges are reviewing. So it, we've got a bit of a strange relationship with it. But hey, if people enjoy it and people get a really good rep off it, I'm, I, there's no harm in them. But it's not something that we've ever sort of sought after. And we're in a bit of a weird subcategory of comedy. So I think we sort of slide past it a little bit. What about you, Robin? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the noise next door fill uh, an odd, an odd space in the comedy world. We are both completely capable and regularly do do stand-up comedy nights and we you know close bills of other comedians yeah. but more and more i'm finding that we are with theater as well and so like we generally tour our own theater show and that's where i would say what tom 80 percent of our work now is probably mm -hmm. our own theater show and then we occasionally do gigs with other comics and things like that um and so I can I think that for, for comedians for solo stand-ups I think they can be a great way to begin your career but it would never have been fully appropriate for us it's certainly not appropriate for us now um because of the space that we fill yeah I think the <clears throat> I think the great thing about improv though is that every single night you do it the show is going to be different so that's the massive attraction and and that can only be popular yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, some people, you say the word improv, you have to be quite careful with that word. Right. Um, because some people, it's because of uh, cartoons like Family Guy or, uh, you know, buddy movies with Seth Rogen always make improv look terrible. And that's because, uh, you know, there are, there is a lot of terrible improv, just like there's a lot of terrible stand-up and a lot of terrible theatre. Yeah. Um, but the form itself isn't terrible. It's just the delivery of it. And so, you know, we've worked for many, many years trying to make ourselves better at what we do. And hopefully now we're at a point where our improv is pretty consistently great. <laughs> Although, you know, we've just got come back after the best part of two years off. Yeah. And, you know, we all felt the, the rust. We had to grind that out. But I think we're sort of back to game sharpness now. I think I think as well, though, the, 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 the massive plus that you've all got as well is your enthusiasm to entertain an audience when, when you go out there. Whenever I've seen you, you are always so positive and enthused for it. It's, it's like me writing my blog. I, I always say to folk, I, I, I love to go to a comedy night and I'm so enthused about it. And, and uh, it's a very good word to use because... Um, I, I obviously laugh like a drain and, and uh, um, um, comedians are beginning to, uh, obviously know, uh, know I'm there, but um, I just love to go. And, I, and this is what's coming across when I see you. You know, you, you all love to be there doing what you do and you, and you enjoy it as well. Yeah, I think that that's one of the, the lovely things for us as performers is that every night is different for us as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. If you're a stand-up and you're on the road, you, you've got, you know, maybe you've got a few hours of material and you're only using 20 minutes a night. But for us, every minute is brand new and we're making each other laugh. And we're surprising each other and yeah. we're making mistakes. It, it's a really, our form of performance is really live. And so we really entertain each other and ourselves. So that enthusiasm is genuine and it's, it's infectious. So the audience then give it back to us and then we give it back to them. And it's sort of a, a building enthusiasm tornado 
Brilliant, brilliant. It, it is exactly that. Um, do you have a specific pattern as to who is responsible for which improvised character? So if somebody in the audience, for example, said, mentioned a policeman, do you have one of the four of you who are brilliant at doing policemen? Uh, not generally speaking, no. no. Um, we we know what each other's strengths are. Yeah. And what each other's weaknesses are. Yeah. But that doesn't really come down to individual characters because you can make uh, any of us can take any character and then play it the way that we would play it. But for instance, if it's like something, uh, a very niche film reference, for instance, then we know that Matt is the guy for that. Matt's the guy that you want to throw that to because he'll definitely know it. Tom's really good at sort of world geography, which doesn't sound as sexy as film, but it's, it comes up all the time. Um, very useful skill. Very useful skill. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have different skill sets and different, but in terms of who takes what, in, in characters, no. No. Um, we, I think it's probably fair to say, have different strengths when it comes to hosting the games. And we, we yeah. share that out in a slightly different way um, because we have different ways of interacting with audiences. So, for instance, in uh, the best example of this is we call it the top. So the first bit that you see when we come out and introduce ourselves quite often for an adult show, it will be Tom first and me second. Um, so if Tom is off because he's ill or whatever, then I'll do it. And, you know, that, that's the way that that generally works. Yeah. But if it's a kid's show, then we normally flip that so that I will go first and Tom will go second because I'm slightly more energetic. I've worked more with kids and it just plays better to my skill set. So I'd say that with the hosting, we're more your best for this. But yeah. with the characters, it's much more free flowing. Very good. I mean, I I very recently saw you in Brighton this particular year. The Agreed, Brighton yeah. Premium. The open air theatre. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. absolutely wonderful theater. venue. I was sitting there right in your firing line, but yeah. um, you you did a brilliant because it was a family show. You 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 used a brilliant device where you brought out water pistols and played a game. So to have a, a um, prop for the audience, especially the kids in the front row, they absolutely loved it, and it elevated that particular um, uh, that that particular show. I thought I, th I, th I thought it was genius, and I thought Tom's um, rendition of the was it a, was it a football manager that 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 you were, that you're bringing the audience in and yeah. this is what i was coming on to you use the audience so well it's not just can you give me a, 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 a an idea for this you actually physically use them all in and you get them um taking part a lot more which is a wonderful thing to say yeah, we try and use the audience in as many different and unique ways as we can in a show. Uh, since since all the COVID stuff, a lot of that's been restricted. You know, we we love getting people up on stage, but that's become you know not we have not been able to do that uh, since COVID. We'll we'll see how things go going forward. Yeah. But um. So we yeah, just really trying to develop different ways of using the audience without us physically interacting with them, and so getting audiences to give ideas without them just answering a basic question but getting them to sort of participate in different unusual ways that bit you're talking about with the with the sports coach yeah is, yeah i go out without any idea of what i am the coach <laughs> of i just go out and start shouting at the team and get them to respond with how they performed in the first half <laughs> and how they're going to do it in the second half and together with the audience i sort of build up this image of this sport that we must play together and it's always something bizarre like you've got to throw the iguana at the target and avoid all the fire and then yeah it's just about building up this strange world and we just sort of build it together it's it's it must sound strange but it does seem to work in audience oh, it's wonderful it's wonderful i've seen i've seen you do it um 
two or three times, and it, mm. and all of them are completely different. Yeah, mm. hilarious. It's really, really funny. That um, form was actually part of a, a yeah. series that we did for our previous show remix. Yeah, yeah. It was one of four characters, so we each did one. So Sam played a child with a balloon, and he just came on stage with a balloon and then gave it somebody in the audience, and we just mucked about with that for a while. I played like a yoga instructor doing, creating a yoga piece with, with an audience member. And Matt was, Tom, do you remember what Matt's was by the end? Because he did two. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, an interpretive dance, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Of course. <laughs> Brilliant. And that's a good example of knowing each other's strengths. Yes, so yeah, while yeah. an audience suggestion, you know, anyone, any of us could take it. Whereas if it's something that we know we're going to do, you know, I will do the authoritative role. Robin yeah. will do something silly. Matt will do something physical. Like this, <laughs> Sam will be mischievous. Those are sort of your, your basic roots. But yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, whenever I've seen you, you all appear to be very confident and fearless on stage. Um, do you suffer from any nerves beforehand? And if so, how do you cope with them? Uh, sometimes, rarely now. I think, yeah. I think um, when we do an especially enormous gig, that's that's nerve-wracking and you cope with that by saying to yourselves we do this day in day out the amount of people doesn't matter like so for instance when we did our britain's got talent piece which sadly we had to had to cancel because of covid um yeah. we we ended up like before that we were all a bit nervous because it was <laughs> like nine million people watching yeah that. yeah so, um but when we walked out on stage as soon as we were nervous before we got on stage but as soon as we got on stage it was like well this is just work we're just out of the office yeah. now this is easy um the other time i suppose we sort of feel Nervous would be the wrong word, but apprehensive is when you arrive at a gig, often a corporate sort of performance or something like that. And actually, increasingly in COVID, it, it happens more often because the spaces are unusual. But you arrive at a space and you go, well, this is terrible. Like this space is not built well for comedy. So a great example of this is it is actually before my time, but a gig where there was a Formula One car between the audience and the stage. And you just go, yeah. well, you that's that's terrible of course it's terrible ask a comedian ask a performer and we'll tell you that's terrible i think we all feel apprehensive when we rock up at things like that but we just go out there and give it our absolute best um oh. there, there's um you know there's this, um, a story of a, of a comedian a really great comedian uh, that we know i won't name names because it involves him dying a death on stage <laughs> wow like, really tanking however he sold it like he was like sold out Wembley and it was and I, I remember that that's a real lesson for me is yeah don't if you've given everything you've got and they've not enjoyed it then either you've mucked it up and you've not had a good gig which happens or this, it's something external that like maybe if you're doing I don't know like a corporate event where they're all getting smashed maybe they just don't want to watch comedy maybe they want to get yeah, smashed yeah. Yeah. and it happens yeah um so yeah so I don't think nerves are a huge problem for us but uh yeah that's how we sort of deal with it I think it's interesting because uh, other other than the other than my blog, the most creative thing I ever did, I I, I wrote a play which um, I was going to take up to Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe, but we, me and my mate, um, put it on for comic relief, and we raised over two grand for it. And right. it's called um, thank you, and it's called uh, the play is called The Applicant. Very quickly, it's about me uh, who um, coming down from Carlisle to London. And I have a very successful girlfriend in London and I, um, I, I I go for a number of jobs and I've never been for a job interview. So each 
uh, scene is me attending a job interview. My friend is all the interviewers because he was very good at accents and voices and I'm me. And as uh, as it increases, I get given my ideal job and, my, and the last interview I get, I die and, my, and, and I go to heaven and they say, uh, whoever's up there says, um, uh, um, we've been watching you on planet Earth and we think... Um, yeah, uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we think you'd be brilliant at um, interviewing corpses for heaven or hell. Uh, <laughs> and I, sh I shrugged my shoulders and that's the end of the play. It was a long time ago, but there we are. But <clears throat> each scene, I, had, I wrote a monologue and then there was an interview. So the monologue was me in the waiting room, terrified and ch chatting to the audience and sent this monologue up. And the point of the, of the tale is the first night I did it, I ran out having written the whole thing and I completely forgot the monologue and just, <laughs> I was like a rabbit in headlights. Um, do you ever forget scenes? Do you ever, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're so good at what you do that people can't see the fact that you're, because, because you're enjoying it again so much. Is there, a, is there an answer to this or is there a question to this? Is there, a, is there an answer to this or? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, because obviously everything we do on stage is made up. Yeah, forgetting is hard. But the thing we can forget is the structure of the show. So right. before the show, uh, we'll all agree. Okay, in this in this first half, we're going to do this song, then this game, then this game, then this song, and then you're going to do this bit. Obviously, what happens within those sections is made up. But sometimes whoever's job it is to host one of the sections might forget. But we are most of us will notice it's happened yeah. and one of the other ones quickly steps in i would like to think the audience would rarely notice us forget <laughs> of course something. yeah <laughs> rarely but rare. not always yeah, yeah <laughs> that's one of the things that we take we have to take quite seriously is that initial host that making making sure that you seem professional in as a unit is yeah. vital for improv because if you seem like you're a bit bumbling you don't really know what you're doing in that first instance then people think that everything that comes after that is you don't know what you're doing you're just mucking about yeah so yeah it's quite important that you get that really really right however once you've won them over because as tom says hopefully it's very rare that we do forget anything if somebody forgets something and we drop the ball and it's obvious we can normally get away with that once you can get away with that once in a show because you've won them over they they're yeah, all yeah, yeah. like yeah. you but you can't do it twice so yeah. we're ve we're very careful not to do it unless it's a genuine accident like you know you some uh you know in some plays and some comedians and stuff they sort of set up bits where they're going to get it wrong they caught on purpose we never do that because if we actually need it <laughs> it's really important <laughs> we've not burned that already that <laughs> brilliant yeah, so <laughs> thing, our, our equivalent for the sort of forgetting thing is that if a suggestion comes up that we genuinely know nothing about so if we ask the audience for um it happened literally last night we asked the audience for a tv show and uh, someone shouted out cagney and lacy <laughs> and matt and i who were in the scene i looked at him and i saw his eyes go wide i thought no he knows nothing and i knew nothing I, I, literally nothing knew nothing <laughs> about it and so the scene was us going well Cagney uh, uh, we are a uh, policeman I think maybe and the audience was like yeah and, then, and, and one of us is a woman you're both women you're both women and, uh, and it was it was it fell apart but uh, luckily we'd gone far enough into the show that they kind of forgave us that it, it can happen when you're asking the audience to channel anything on the list of everything in the world, there are some things we don't know anything about. And the Cagney and Lacey is no longer one of them. I've Googled it since, and I've got an episode downloaded to watch. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs>
<laughs> that is that that is a great answer. Um, you've performed alongside, amongst others, Harry, uh, Al Murray, Harry Hill, and Michael McIntyre. Describe what it was like working with these other comedians. Were you were you um, supporting them, or were you working with them? Yeah, um, I mean, we've been very lucky to to work alongside lots of great yeah. comics over the years. Uh, with those three in particular, I mean, they're, they're sort of like, you know, big stars, long-standing stars. In each of those cases, we were supporting them at a gig, yes. So uh, not as a sort of tour, but on a sort of one-off, on a charity event or something like that, or a yeah. one-off gig. Um, and across the board, they were all very nice. Um, uh, Michael McIntyre was actually particularly very kind and really supportive and really lovely about what we'd done. Yeah. And then obviously he went on and was absolutely amazing as well. And the audience lost their minds. Um, yeah, it's, we've been really fortunate to work with uh, sort of people like that. We've also, because as you know, in our late night show in Edinburgh, we do shows with guests. So we bring just them on. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although we've not, we've not quite had Michael McIntyre. We have had a lot of people, um, you know, we've had uh, Joe Lysick, Catherine Ryan, Ramesh Ranganathan, Milton Jones, Tim Vine, uh, lots of like big stars. Laura Lex, just saying. Yeah um she, so we, we've had uh, lots of um big stars on with us and they are it's great to work with them and it's lovely to to what we do in that show we we take stand-ups and uh, they can do a little bit of stand-up but then they join us in improv games um so it's been really fun to work with them a little bit out of their element and the audience gets to see another side to one of their favorite stand-ups brilliant brilliant answer brilliant um Let's go on to Edinburgh. What was your first Edinburgh Fringe like? Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate to be able to go to Edinburgh every year, um, and it's my holiday. I go for a week, and I see about 50 shows, including yours, and I'm exhausted by the end yeah. of it, but I have the time of my life. Um, what was your first Edinburgh Fringe like? When, what was the first year you went? What was it like? What, what was the experience like? Well, my... As a personal, uh, personal or for work, I suppose there's two answers. Oh, there. both, yeah. Uh, the first time I ever went to the Edinburgh Fringe was in 2004 or five, I think 2005. And I went up to Edinburgh with a, a tiny little show that was being put on by drama students from Birmingham University. I did not go to Birmingham University, <laughs> but... I had gone to school with someone who then went to Birmingham University and they didn't have anywhere near, near enough boys that wanted to do, uh, it was like a kid's show. And wow. so she put together this show at Birmingham University and had all these girls that were really excited to do it, but they just needed at least one man to be the, <laughs> this main part in it. And so she contacted me during the, uh, the last term of my first year of university and was like, would you like to come and work at Birmingham University for a month and then go up to Edinburgh? So I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, so I had a strange one. It was just me me and um, 12 girls did a, a, a kid's show called Sir Gwaine and the Green Knight. And <laughs> it was fine, I guess. <laughs> but the experience was amazing. And I've been every year since. Hey, yeah, from, of course. You know. yeah. What about you, Robin? Uh, also, not the noise next door. It's interesting. Uh, I think if you'd have asked Matt, his his answer would have been, "Well, my first time was with the noise next door." But I went up with uh, this would have been in two thousand and eleven or twelve. I was in a group called the Three Half Pints. We were a slapstick comedy trio, and uh, we went up with a show just called the Three Half Pints, and we performed in a venue which 
later when I told uh, comedian Ian Sterling about it, he went, well, that's not really in Edinburgh, is it, boys? Because it's so <laughs> far. Uh, it was at the Edinburgh City Football Club, which is so far. It's almost in Leith. It's a long way away. Well, and, I'll, I'll uh, give yeah. you this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. We, we, did a, we did an hour show of sketches and slapstick in like a bar. And again, just like Tom said, like the show we were thrilled with, we got like five-star reviews for it, which was delightful. And sort of like the first tick in our box of like, maybe we could, maybe we're good enough to be performers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um yeah and then uh i went every, i think i've been every year since either as a either as a customer a couple of years i went just to see things yeah um, or as a performer either with the half pints or with the noise so what was the the noise next door's first solo show uh the noise next door's first um show in edinburgh was 2008 it was called the noise next door in prophecy chronicles um and the conceit of the show was about um predicting the future of the audience through improv. Um, that was the basic idea behind it. And it was in a little venue, which doesn't exist anymore. It was on um, Northbridge, I think it's called. Right. Um, it, it was like in, in a sort of dingy back room of some hotel. It was quite central, which we were very happy with. We sort of didn't know how central it was when we were playing. It was a C venues um, uh, venue that- Yes, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was lovely and central and I honestly think a lot of, I really put down a lot of our success at The Noise down to that first year where we would go out at midday every day and we would fly her nonstop until 7.30 in the evening. Like there would always be from midday to 7.30, there would always be one of us on the mile flyering, if not all of us, or we would we were doing gigs. And we, so we, we packed out our first ever Edinburgh show, not because we were anyone, but because we were blindly enthusiastic we were all 21 and we yeah. had stamina for days so yeah. we fly her for eight hours perform for an hour and then go and get drunk until four in the morning and do it all again <laughs> and i still yeah, do that just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you've got better energy than i do yeah but uh, we just we sold, we sold that show out a lot 54. of times based on just please come and we would yeah. walk people to the box office you know literally yeah, go yeah. the box office this way i'll take you right there and we talked to them until they bought a ticket it was we were not exactly happy. that but but that's the magic of it because the flyering may seem a, a very long laborious process but of course it works because you get people in you know and then and then you know you do your show and you it's this enthusiasm again um let me just read you this next question because this is these are all the all the shows that I've seen. Um, as well as making a point of seeing you annually at the Edinburgh Fringe for the Noise Next Door's comedy lock-in in the late night show, including celebrating 10 years in 2017. Congratulations. I have also seen your brilliant tours, Noise in the Hood in London in 2016 and Remix in Carlisle in 2019, as well as shows at the, Udden, Udden, the Udden, Underbelly Festival and Always Be Comedy in London. Do each of you have specific routines ready based on audience suggestions, even although it's an improvised show? It's similar to the ones with the characters, but do you have, if somebody mentions a word, you've got a stock routine in your mind, or is it is it so fly off the wall that that that's half the fun of it? It's 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 fly off the wall. It, yeah. The, the trouble with doing it the way that you're suggesting, sort of the the, the way that you're questioning, if we do, like, uh, is that's a lot of work. Yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> jokes and routines and 
it's just a pain and none of us can be bothered. So of course there are there are there are some there are some characters who come up often um, until quite recently. I'm pleased to say he has died a death recently, but Donald Trump was a real guarantee. And so yes, there are after a while you run out of new jokes and you start going, oh, what else can we do about this horrible bigot? Like you just run out. Yeah, awful. Um, yeah. And so by by the by the end of Donald Trump years, yeah, there were like ten jokes that we knew worked. But what you do then is you you do them and you get them out of the way so yeah. that you can move on to the more interesting creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but broadly, no there, no, there are too many available jokes, and also more importantly for us, there are too many available combinations. So sure. yeah, we might have heard Henry VIII before, but we've never heard Henry VIII, who is now a shoe shiner. Like yeah. that's a new thing. And so you've got to marry those ideas. And the most satisfying jokes for improv come from when you've married those ideas properly. You can do Henry VIII jokes and you can do shoe shiner jokes, but if you can do a joke that is about Henry VIII shining shoes that wouldn't work for anybody else, then that is where you're going to get your absolute gold laughs. So we try to not fall into the trap of having reliable gags because it's it's less good. Yeah, sure, sure. Do you, do you agree with that, Tom? Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where there's no there's no sort of like master document of things we could say. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like Robin Robin said, if stuff comes up a lot, it's impossible not to recall what you've done recently and what was successful. And so, yeah, Donald Trump's a great example. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it comes up a lot, and so it is easy to parrot out jokes that we've done before or or versions of jokes we've done before. Um, but honestly, that's the least satisfying version of what we do for us. Yeah, it's yeah. When someone comes at our left field and hits us with a Cagney and Lacey, that's when we're really, <laughs> that's when we're really flying. That's or, really or, true. You know, if someone it? suddenly brings up some topic that, that we haven't thought about in a long time, it's like, oh, the, the crystal maze. I haven't thought about the crystal maze <laughs> ever. And then suddenly you've got this fun scene that's that's as fun for us as it is for the audience because it's yeah. true discovery. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, so there's no master list, but yeah. it, would be, it would be untrue of us to say we never repeat a joke. We certainly do, um, yeah. but only if that's what the audience want to see. It, sure. it would be churlish of us to, to go, well, we did Donald Trump yesterday, so we're not going to do the same jokes for you because our job is to entertain the audience. So, yeah, sometimes we'll repeat a joke, but not because we want to, but because the audience have asked for the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I want to say this next bit to you because... Uh, um, you, the group are very, very close to my heart because because when I saw you in Carlisle, um, I was not in a very good place. I, I lost my mum and I was very low and my brother said to me, go to your comedy. And you were, the noise, the noise next door were playing at the, fire, the old fire station in Carlisle. Mm -hmm. And I went along on my own and I sat in the back with a pint of beer in the back of the audience and you all bound on and you said, uh, hello, Carlisle. Can anybody give me uh, something good about Carlisle? And somebody yelled out, Carlisle United. And then what I didn't realise was a friend of mine was in the audience and, 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 and you then said, can you, can you give me something bad about Carlisle? And somebody yelled out, Richard Gill. <laughs> <laughs> and you, went, you all went, is he here? He's normally in London. And literally with my fines, I went, hello. But then <laughs> you, you incorporated all the information, as you say, off the cuff, into this amazing song about Carlisle. And I will never forget that for cheering me up so much in such a dark time. So thank you very, very much. You are, you are, you are wonderful at what you do. Let's move on. Um, you've appeared on TV. Um, on both BBC One, BBC Three and ITV and on radio, Radio One and Radio Four. 
Do, does appearing on TV and radio limit your improvisational skills at all? Well, we don't do it very much, Richard, and I think that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so now then. <laughs> there is a... There is a um, I, I think this is probably fair. And, like, listen, it, it would be easy to be bitter about this, but I don't think we are. We're very aware that we're an incredibly tight... Uh, live product and we enjoy live work um listen it'll be lovely to do more tv work but there's a reticence amongst tv amongst tv producers because of the word improv they're yeah. terrified that we're gonna go out and just suddenly despite years of never doing this just suddenly decide oh we're gonna do a really good neo-nazi bit or uh, we're gonna do yeah. you know it, there's a real fear there i think um so I would say, no, it wouldn't limit yeah. our improv skills, but we're quite good at reading a room and we're not going to go on and do something incredibly offensive. We wouldn't do a neo-Nazi bit for any audience. Uh, but, you yeah. know, like the material that we would do at 3am in the comedy store is going to be very different to what we would do at 12pm at yeah. the Brighton, uh, Brighton Open Air Theatre. Where of you course. Yeah. So, um, I think it would only limit us because of the way that we would want to perform it. We would be aware of the form and the style. Uh, so for instance, on Britain's Got Talent, we know that's a family show. We're not going to go out there and do a terribly rude song because A, we would lose the show. Yeah. B, we would never go on TV again. And C, the audience who are watching it aren't going to enjoy that. So oh. that's sort of like our entire vibe really is like reading what the audience wants and giving it to them. Yeah. Um, I think the only reason we're limited on TV is, is because of that limit, which we're happy to abide by. I think. Sure. Have you have you got anything to add, Tom? Very conclusive answer, in my opinion. That uh, <laughs> that we we've really enjoyed the the TV appearances we have had, few and far between though they've been. Um, we would definitely love to do more, but like Robin said, we're aware of how live our product is. It's sure. all about interacting with the audience, um, and we touched on it briefly earlier. But we were we took part in Britain's Got Talent in twenty twenty. Um, and had a lovely first round audition and got four yeses and were due to go to a semi-final. But then when all the live audiences were taken away and it was done with screens and all got delayed, we made the decision that it wouldn't be representative of our show and what we want to do to, to do it. Uh, they, they wanted it to be more reliable and tight with no live audience. And we couldn't promise them that and do our show properly. So we had, we had to back out. So yeah. And I think yeah. we're unapologetic about that. Like we are an improvised comedy group. We don't want to be a stand-up group. We're an improvised comedy group. We're not a sketch group. And we don't want, like, if, if that's not suitable for the television audience, then that's absolutely fine. We're not going to change the thing that we love doing and the thing that the company has built up a reputation for and yeah. skill set in, in order to fit into something that maybe the form isn't right for. Hence the reason that, like I said earlier, we're we're doing way more theatre now. So we're doing loads of big theatres and we're we're touring way more. And that would be a way that we could develop our skills and change what we do. And, you know, we could start thinking more about different live formats and ways that the noise next door can do other live stuff because that plays into the skills that we already have. But we're sort of unapologetically not going to change the way that we perform, I think is. Too right. I, 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 to I totally agree with you. I think I think it's the originality and the um, fear of not... Um, uh, of no barriers that make you very very special you can you can go and do what you want and say what you want but a very as i said before very warm and enthusiastic with it um uh who are your favorite comedians past and present um do you have uh, any other favorite comedians at all do you like comedy <laughs> 
I, yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I would say, and I bet you probably get this a lot with people you speak to, is that when you work in comedy, you watch far less of it than you yeah, used to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I go to comedy all the time. And now that it's yeah. my work life, it, I, I'm less attracted to it. Although, yeah. having said that, I still do have favourite comedians. I yeah. love Ramesh Ranganathan. I think oh, he's brilliant. Incredible. I love James Acaster. He makes me, like, James Acaster makes me laugh in a way that nobody else does. Um, and if you're looking sort of a bit further back, I really like, I mean, he's sort of semi-retired now, but Lee Evans was a... Oh, was yeah. Funny. It was uh, the visual humour, wasn't yeah. it? The, 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 the funny face at the end of yeah. every gag. Yeah, yeah. And sort of more recently, Maisie Adam as well. Oh, she's, she's superb. I, I really admire and think she's hilarious. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah those would be my four that, that I really take home. What about you, Tom? I think my... I do enjoy live comedy. Um, certainly, uh, James A. Gass is a, certainly one that really, really tickles me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other like modern stand-ups who I really love. Alistair Beckett King is a real... Uh, he's on the way up at the moment and I just yeah. he really touches my funny bone I think my the way I kind of came into comedy was was much more through sort of uh scripted and and sketch and things like that like Monty Python old school oh, Monty yeah. Python stuff it sounds strange now but uh South Park the writing of South Park in in the noughties was so exciting and like and outrageous to me that uh that sort of thing was how I got into wanting to be involved in comedy um, and there's a bit more storytelling, a bit more narrative, which is a bit more my style on stage as well. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. also have sort of, I suppose, as a group, we have one comedian who always gets special mention for us, merely because we talk about him so much in the car. We're always talking about, have you ever seen Kerry Marks? The oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> he's absolutely brilliant. We talk about Kerry Marks more than any other comedian. We talk about him all the time. He's so he's funny. Yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. And honestly responsible for like probably the most I've ever laughed in addressing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. On one, and it was Gary Marks gets special mention from the noise next door for sure. I saw him uh, two or three times downstairs at the King's Head. He used to play all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting you say about James Acaster. I, I, I think he's one of the best. And uh, I have a testimonial section in my blog, and he and he very kindly said, um, if I wasn't a stand-up comedian, I would happily sit next to Richard Gill all day, making him laugh. And I thought, <laughs> that was genius. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, you know, you can't get better than that. Just, mm -hmm. just following on from that, um, like me, do you go to a lot of gigs as a member of the audience? Not loads anymore. Oh, really? no. I, I go to um, I go to the theatre quite often, and I see yeah. music quite often. Um, I do see some, but I would say before I was in the noise, I would go to ten or fifteen gigs a year, like yeah. nowhere near your level, but you know, yeah. ten or fifteen gigs a year. Now I'm in the noise; it'll be. I mean, if I'm not in Edinburgh, three or four. If I'm in Edinburgh, I'll see a lot more, like normally ten or fifteen shows in Edinburgh. But um, it's just because you want to get away from that environment a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's also that again, yeah. I don't um, outside of of work, and also at work, we'll often see a lot of stand up. You know, if we're at a, a mixed bill gig, we'll get to see a great lineup of stand ups, and so the desire to then do that again uh, outside outside of work yeah, is yeah. sort of. You know, no it matter can, how much you love your job, too much. Yeah, you want know, to have you want to have a day off from it, yeah, no matter what yeah. it is. Yeah, my my first ever gig, uh, I was seven. Uh, we went to Scarborough as a family, and we went to see Les Dawson, and he was amazing. And then a year later, we saw Tommy Cooper, and that wow. was incredible. And that I just got be... the bug for it. Uh, if I could turn back time, if I could turn yeah. back time and see anybody live, yeah. anybody throughout the history, bands, anything, yeah. I would see Tommy Cooper. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Cooper was amazing. The curtains opened up, 
and there's a bed on stage and he's lying on it and one woman in the audience starts laughing it trickles round so everybody's laughing crying with laughter he hadn't done a thing and he just popped his head up perfect timing and went what what has somebody come on <laughs> <laughs> and he was away you know <laughs> the, the ones I would have loved to have seen were Markham and Wise oh, they're yeah. the reason why I do I, I, I write comedy but I I got through the alternative boom in the 80s. I, I went, uh, I saw, uh, I, I couldn't believe, I, I, I went to see Frank Skinner, French and Saunders, Rick Mayo, on and on and on. And then, and then of course, Edinburgh with all the big shows. I just love to go. I, I, I just go and enjoy myself. It's, my, it's obviously my passion. Um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to live gigs? Have you done any online gigs? What do you and what do you think the future is for stand-up comedy? Uh, we did do quite a few online gigs. Yeah, uh, we were in, during the first lockdown. Um, the the rules were pretty clear. Uh, the four of us were unable to meet up and do anything, and so uh, we did try a few gigs where we were in separate places but frankly the technology was not quick enough we, no. we, we didn't have quick enough interactions we realized quickly that this wasn't for us um uh, especially for sort of comedy gigs we actually did do a, a socially distance weekly show but that was much more of a friendly sort I of i saw one or two of those yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know a yeah. friendly interaction where we do a bit of improv but it was a yeah. lot more just messing around and setting challenges yeah which was really fun to do uh for the i think second third and fourth however many other lockdowns there were um from a certain point uh you could meet up um to perform as long as there was no live audience and we right. were in a sort of work bubble and so the four of us from second lockdown onwards could meet up and perform to an audience over zoom and those worked quite well it was there was a real shift to, to learn uh not to leave gaps for laughter even though yeah. Yes, people probably were laughing. You couldn't rely on that and you couldn't judge an audience based on that. We were taking all our suggestions just through the chat function in Zoom um, because having 50 people all trying to shout out over Zoom is is not the same as a room full of 50 people trying to shout out. Yeah, yeah. So we we found our way and and by the end of it, we actually found a pretty a pretty good setup. You know, we had full lights and mics and, you know, my living room became our studio over the over the summer yeah and we're still doing a few gigs for certain for certain uh companies there are certain yeah. corporate companies that we work with who are continuing to keep the gigs online because frankly it's much cheaper and almost as effective for them for us to do it online as it is in real life yeah 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 <laughs> why not why yeah. not but so uh, as for the future like yeah. you, like you said I, I think that it will die i think that online mm. comedy will disappear because nobody who does it enjoys doing it as much i think as tom said corporate stuff will last for longer because uh the bookers will want it it's cheaper for companies to put on so we did for instance for a very very large retail company we did a gig to over 10,000 people they could never do that in real life that would yeah. be that would be like what a hundred thousand pounds easily whereas doing it online they just need to send out a link and have a subscription big enough and that, that's it that's the only overheads so I think for companies I can see it remaining for longer sure. um, but I think in terms of just just online gigs I think they'll die and in fact we've actually noticed 
the appetite from audiences has dropped off as things open people want to be out in the world yeah yeah watching yeah. things on screen that are filmed and created for that purpose so films or, or tv series or whatever whereas stand-up isn't meant to be viewed in that way it's meant to be a live experience and if you're watching it on tv it's a filmed live experience which is slightly different um so i don't think i don't think that it will continue i totally agree with that i mean when when lockdown was on um I would go every night and 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 online and I and I, and I would love to go. Uh, it was a it was a very good substitute for live comedy. Mm. But when they first started, they didn't have any audio. There was no, they couldn't work out the audio. So I I was sitting here laughing at laughing at a screen. It was like laughing at four walls. I thought I was going to be taken away because I was laughing so loud. <laughs> they couldn't hear me. But. Um, uh, but, but I'm like you, I, I love to go on a weekend or whenever uh, live and go with a load of friends and just sit there and, and just en get the act to entertain me because you're in the moment live as well. So anything can happen. And, and, and it's so much better, so much better. Um, and it's wonderful to see coming back. Just before we go, and I could talk to you all night. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. You've been fantastic guests. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, do you have any live or online tours coming up? Or do you have any podcasts that you want to mention? Or where can people find you on social media? That sort of thing. Well, I guess we'll, we'll split them. I'll do the tour. Yeah, we're on tour. We're, we're touring again um, from now, actually. We've started yeah. again, um, which we're delighted about. And um, you can catch us all over the country from the Isle of Wight all the way up to, what, Warrington, I think is as far north as we're going this time. Uh, but hopefully more dates will be coming in. So if you live in a part of the world that we're not in, uh, we'll be there eventually. Keep your eyes Brilliant. Up. Brilliant. And Tom... Yeah. The best way to find out about that tour is to either check out our website, thenoisenextdoor.co.uk, or follow us on social media, at noisenextdoor on everything. Uh, so, yeah, do check us out. And, and if you'd like to listen to more of Robin and I talking, uh, but also with additional Sam and Matt, we do have a podcast. It's called Fantasy Five, and we make up football teams out of things that have no footballers in. So maybe historical queens versus cartoon dogs. Uh, it's that sort of thing. It's basically nonsense, but it's a lot of fun. Brilliant. Well, I, for one, am really looking forward to seeing you again live very, very soon. And as I say, thank you so much for being fantastic guests. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And all the very best so to much. you. Thanks a lot now. Cheers. Bye-bye.